What is Agent Ignite? Get educated on current and forecasted market trends and valuable insight on real estate-related topics from accredited experts, giving you a competitive edge in the industry. Sign up for the next Agent Ignite session at theruthteam.com slash events. That's T-H-E-R-U-E-T-H team.com forward slash events. I would rather invest with somebody that had a negative experience, maybe had a project that uh, lost some capital or something, and they're transparent about it and explain to you why it happened and what happened. And if you find out that most of that was out of their control or you know something like that, that could be a positive, even though it's a negative on their track record. So if they're willing to bring those things out and be transparent about it. That's a, a huge gold star. This is your daily real estate syndication show. I'm your host, Whitney Sewell. Today, our guest is Mark Sierra. Mark is a co-founder of Sierra Capital Group, a firm focused on creating diverse private real estate investments. He's a CFO of a consulting firm and a registered CPA. He understands uh, the difficulties that busy professionals face when seeking quality real estate operators and sponsors. For more than 10 years, Mark has focused on finding, vetting, and developing relationships within the real estate industry. Uh, With his foundation, Mark co-founded Sierra Capital Group to help other busy professionals like himself invest in private real estate. Uh, Mark and I talk today about uh, diversifying a little bit, but but really we go into vetting operators uh, and and why that's so important and some steps that he takes specifically that's been so helpful, you know, as a passive investor, but now helping other passive investors make those decisions and think through operators that are quality and some some hard stops that he has about experience or track record or uh, transparency that that you're going to hear about that maybe you have not heard before, but that you need to know. If you're an operator, you need to hear these things. If you're a passive investor, you definitely need to know these things so you can make the the wisest and best decision when investing your hard-earned capital. Mark, welcome to the show. It's interesting that you and I have met numerous times at, uh, at different conferences, and, and I'm looking forward to hearing more about you know, your path to success in the syndication business, right? And how that's worked out for you, what that looks like, and even now, how you're helping others achieve success through investing you know, in real estate and through, and through commercial real estate. Give the listeners a little more about yourself, and let's dive into that exact thing. Hey, thanks, Whitney. I'm really excited to be here. Let me give you a little bit of background about, like you said, where I come from, how I got involved in real estate, all of that sort of thing. So um, just to take it all the way back to the beginning, I graduated Iowa State University in 2002 with an accounting degree and came out, got my CPA uh, and joined the ranks of management consulting at uh, Navigant Consulting, Ernst & Young, a couple other smaller shops and um, advanced my career. Eventually, I ended up working for one of my clients around 2010 and becoming their CFO in about 2015. And that's where I am today. That firm continues to grow. And so quite busy in a day job as a professional, you know, as a CFO, but but about halfway through my career, I got interested in real estate through my wife, uh, actually, who's a general contractor here in Chicago. Um, and up until then, I didn't really realize that normal people could invest in real estate alongside rich people. Yeah, I just always thought it was for you know a rich people's game. She really opened my eyes when we bought a piece of land that we were going to build our own house on. But for whatever reason, we decided that it wasn't quite the right fit for us. So we divided the lot, built two spec homes, sold them, and the light bulb came on for me that this is something that we could do. So we did that and continue to do some of that on the side with her business um, in developing single family homes, condos, that sort of thing around the Chicago market. But as my career got busier, I realized there was other opportunities in real estate around syndications and passively investing. And that's really what caught my attention. And around 2016, that's kind of where you and I met. 
at some of the conferences. Um, I started vetting operators. And ever since then, I've been looking deep into who are great partners, what's their track record, and, and understanding how to become really a passive professional, replacing my income from my day job so that hopefully someday I can be like some of the other passive investors out there just living off of that cash flow and, and income. And, you know, I have to worry about that day job income and have those options. Yeah, it's interesting to hear like, you know, your background, I mean, CPA, your, your CFO, uh, I mean, your your knowledge behind numbers, right? Uh, you know, and, and finances. Uh, and then all of a sudden you see this opportunity in real estate and it's like, okay, I mean, light bulb moment, right? I mean, it's like all, many of us go through that. Uh, it's like, finally, okay, there is a, I can see a real path to building wealth doing this thing over here in real estate, right? Uh, but go ahead. You know, so today as we grew in our businesses, we realized that there was an opportunity to really help other people like myself find these good operators and, and really employ maybe a fund of funds model to help them invest uh, in some of the bigger uh, institutional type players and, and really get a foundational investment in real estate that can help diversify your portfolio. That's what we do today. Incredible. I, and I want to dive into some of those key things you just said too, like identifying the correct sponsors or quality sponsors, right? How you're doing that. I know many of the past investors listening, they want to know that as well, right? You know, how do we do that? Well, it's time consuming initially, right? It could be, and you should spend some time on it. It's so important, no doubt about it, building that relationship. And, and I want to get into how you do that. But then also you mentioned like the fund to fund model. Uh, and, and that's that's the thing we're hearing a lot more about recently. And I want to hear more about how you're doing that as well. But but identifying a quality sponsor, walk us through that a little bit. Uh, even for the active sponsors that are listening, they still want to know how they're how they're going to be vetted, right? Uh, you know, or interviewed and how, you know, how passive investors are determining who they want to invest with. I know, I know we do, and we want to provide the best care or quality, you know, investments and opportunities for our investors. So how do you do that? Uh, Mark, how do you identify those quality sponsors from all the operators out there? From a high level, I kind of employ the 80-20 rule generally, just looking at 80% who the sponsor is and what's their track record, how long they've been in the business, you know, what are their ups and downs? How do they communicate to their investors? You know, what are the challenges they face and how they have addressed them? So all of those things come through developing those relationships, seeking out other investors and understanding their experience with the sponsors, you know, and then asking some of those questions and in interviews with sponsors and their partners. You know, I tend to focus on longer track record operators that have been in the business for 10 years or more because we've been in a very favorable market for quite some time now. Uh, and I like to see what they did over the last downturn. Um, that doesn't mean that new operators aren't well suited to deal with the same issues that we could see in the future. But it's one of those criteria that I focus on quite a bit, at least in in some of the, the long tenured operators. Yeah. And, and you do have to kind of set your rules for yourself, right? These are the things I'm looking for. I mean, we do that in so many areas of our life and you should do it for focusing on a sponsor as well. Well, here's some kind of non-negotiables for you and it's going to be different for different people, right? What are some other non-negotiables for you, Mark? You know, you, you want 10 plus years of experience that in, right away is going to eliminate lots of spawn. It's going to help narrow it down. Right away, you're going to get people with a lot of experience, hopefully exited many projects, right? As well, been through a downturn or so. Uh, and that gives you a lot of time to ask about, right? Like, how did you do during this downturn? What happened? And like you, I loved how you said too, the challenges, what challenges have they had? And then how did they respond, right? It's not a matter of, if they've had challenges, right? I mean, it's like, Absolutely. if you're in real estate, you're going to have challenges or a growing 
growing almost any business. Uh, you ask a sponsor, what's some challenges you've had? And they say, oh, I've never had any challenges. Well, <laughs> you know, that's probably a red flag, right? What are some other non-negotiables for you, Mark? So transparency is a big thing to me. Understanding how, not only how they're going to communicate uh, what the investment opportunity is, financials underpinning it, what their assumptions are, but also going back to that track record. Tell me about that bad project that you had, how you communicated, what you communicated to your investors and how it was resolved. Even if it's negative, I, I would rather invest with somebody that had a negative experience, maybe had a project that uh, lost some capital or something, and they're transparent about it and explain to you why it happened and what happened. And if you find out that most of that was out of their control or you know something like that, that could be a positive, even though it's a negative on their tracker. So they're willing to bring those things out and be transparent about it. That's a, a huge gold star. To speak to any other ways that you like to see an operator be transparent, you mentioned about like underwriting and assumptions and some of those things. What shows you that, hey, this is probably going to be a, you know, an operator that's transparent or, or maybe, I don't know, what do they present to you early on that says, you know what, hey, I really like how they're communicating these things. Anything that stands out to you. I'd love to hear that myself. I know other operators do too. It usually comes very early on when you reach out to a sponsor and say, hey, can you provide me with your track record? And you go through that list of the 15 projects that they finished and all of them have 20 plus IRRs and you go, hmm, okay, let me, let me ask you a question about, do you have any projects that were negative? Or if they just simply do not offer any challenges when you initially ask, hey, tell me about your, your challenging project. They have nothing, like you said earlier. Uh, typically, that's not a great sign around the transparency. Is there any way that you'd like to see that presented? You know, those previous deals or uh, maybe somebody that stands out to you, I mean, or the way that it was presented to you from a quality operator that you've met? Yeah, usually you'll see the project, what the projection was, what the result was, and then some sort of note on the side that uh, this is a highlighted project. Uh, we'd like to talk to you about it. I've seen that on some really quality operators identifying the negative project and why and talking about it first. Yeah, that's great information. And and even I would encourage to even new operators, we've started doing this and, and we didn't do it initially. It would have been much easier for you. But like tracking that, you know, right, you know, keep a list of your deals, what your projections were. Uh, you know, you start exiting projects. Well, what, you know, what were the actual returns that investors received? And, you know, and then it helps you to create things like Mark's talking about. So you can present it in a, in a way to investors that's easy for them to see it all in one place. Uh, and as you grow, it gets harder to remember, wait a minute, you know, or maybe even find some of those documents from five years ago, you know, like that gets more and more difficult. Uh, so it's better to track that up front. What, what, anything else, Mark, or anything else about that, but about identifying that quality sponsor? Sure, yeah, going back to that 80-20 rule, you know, 80% around the sponsor and their quality and how they present themselves, all those sort of things. 20% around the deal or the fund, you know, economics, that sort of thing, looking at the financial projections and their performance, but understanding that those are generally always going to be wrong, right? No one performs exactly to plan. Um, you almost always see variability on the exit from what the projection was. So understanding that those are just projections and focusing more on what their assumptions are and making sure that those operators have generally in line with economics appropriate uh, underwriting assumptions. And, and a lot of that can be vetted up front, uh, even before a deal is presented to you. You can get familiar with what an operator is expecting in different markets and how they underwrite each project in those markets generally. Yeah, I love that. Uh, how long would you say it normally would take to vet a sponsor? How much time should you know should a past investor commit to with the sponsor or potential sponsor before actually making that uh, commitment? That's a tough question. And it may become you know, a little bit of a gut check on when you get comfortable 
comfortable. Some people, I think you may get pretty comfortable very quickly if they're very transparent. Here's all the information. Here's five investors you can go talk to all teed up, uh, assuming those investors aren't just being teed up because they're the biggest cheerleaders or something. Those types of things could get you to the finish line quickly. I would say I generally spend you know a month or two, a couple months just looking back at other projects, maybe schedule a trip to go visit one of their current portfolio assets and walk around and you know, maybe have a trip with the sponsor and then go look at the deal that they're pitching for their next raise and walk the property with them. See how they see the property through their eyes. Yeah, that's incredible. I, and we offer that to all of our investors, uh, but very few are, you know, are going to take the time typically to take us up on that. Unfortunately, I, th- I think it's great. Uh, you know, walking the sidewalk of the property you're going to invest in, or even even a previous deal that the, that the operator has done just gives you so much face time, right? You know, with that operator. And I, I know me personally, it uh, some of that time allows you just to fill them out more as a person, you know, as much as their operating experience as well. That's right. You know, one other point on that, you know, if you do go to a, a property that they've held for a couple of years, you often can see some of the work that's in progress and see what have they done compared to what they plan to do and how quality, all those sorts of things on site as they're managing the property. No doubt about it. I wanted to hit though, as well, you know, you mentioned that you are, uh, you know, you're working on like a fund to fund model. And, and would you explain a little bit about what that means, you know, to you or what you're working on? And let's dive into that a little bit also for those past investors as they're looking at, you know, investing. Why should they be aware of what that means? So fund of funds really is, I mean, in a simplistic way, exactly what it sounds like. So you're raising a fund of capital from investors in order to place it with other sponsors. And, you know, there's a lot of objections to that. Like, why would you place your money in a, in a fund that's going to have some fund drag? Of course, you have organization expenses and operating expenses, et cetera. But there are benefits if you do it right. And that is investing with sponsors who provide either tiered investment structure. So a larger investment garners a larger split of or a larger preferred return or a better split of the profits. Uh, and so therefore, you can offset some of those fund fees through those larger investments. Or maybe there's an operator who has a minimum and, you know, seven digits, a million dollars or $5 million. Uh, And most accredited investors, you know, they're investing 25 or 50, maybe a hundred thousand. They would not be able to get into those funds or uh, it just wouldn't be prudent to invest a million dollars, you know, of your portfolio in one operator or one asset, that sort of thing. So you get that diversification benefit in something like I work on, which is a couple of operators with diverse funds themselves. And so that is a natural portfolio diversifier. If you're just a 401k type investor and you're looking for some real estate. So that's really where I focus and why I believe the fund of funds is a beneficial model for a lot of investors. Yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, speak to uh, even vetting, uh, you know, somebody like yourself, right? Uh, that's going to operate a fund that, you know, that passive investor is going to invest in. Yeah. So how would you vet myself if I were someone looking at me? I mean, I think it does go a lot of the same way. Like what's the track record? Who are the sponsors that you're working with? Um, you want to be able to look through that transparency. That's what we do. We provide complete transparency to who we're investing in uh, because that's that's what you want to know as an op or as an investor, uh, ultimately, where's my money going? So, you know, having that, I think, is the biggest hurdle. Uh, and then looking at some of the back end operations, where are the funds going? How are you managing them? Who are your legal team and your accounting team and what's their experience? All of that sort of thing. So it comes probably more of that 80 than the 20 because the financial underwriting is more related to the 
investment that the fund is making and more about the quality of who your sponsor is and whether they're going to be there throughout the life of the fund. No, that's incredible. And I, you know, at that point too, it's obviously it's trusting your ability to do what we talked about earlier, right? And vet those sponsors, but it's going to take less time for that passive investor, hopefully, because they're, they're trusting you to do that. Right. Uh, and, you know, you to do that due diligence, uh, but I love the diversification of that as well. And I know, you know, doing a fund personally as well, that it, it's like investors are, are not only getting diversification through, markets, but just cash flow diversification that I love as well, right? You know, I'm split up then across numerous projects instead of just one. And, and so there's pros and cons to both. I hear investors gripe and love both, you know, uh, both models. Yeah, it's not for everyone, right? And I think that's important to understand, right? Some people are more risk averse. Some people are more risk taking. And I think there's a place in your portfolio for both of those pieces of the pie. And, you know, having a foundational piece like this, I think is important, just like the institutions that you see invest out there. They're not all in emerging markets or in Apple stock, they have diverse portfolios. And some of that's in real estate, some of it's in private equity, some of it's in stocks and bonds, and all kinds of things. And I think that's important for a healthy portfolio. Speak to the the type of fund that, that you've chosen to operate or, or what an investor should even know from about the type of fund that that you're operating? So I'm operating a fund that's diverse in both, like you said, operators, markets, and sectors of the real estate economy. So we're, we're touching on multifamily, self-storage, manufactured housing, mainly in this fund. So you get a little piece of a lot of assets, uh, more than 40 assets eventually will be in the fund. So, you know, we're talking about pretty broad diversification and, you know, multiple offers, like I said, so. Yeah. So is this an evergreen fund? Is it open forever? Is it, you know, what's kind of the time horizon, uh, you know, for, for your fund? So usually your fund of funds will match the time horizon of the underlying investments. And these are seven to 10 year investments. So it will, it is not evergreen. It will close as the underlying investments uh, sell their assets and close up their funds. Okay. Uh, anything else about maybe the, the fund portion of this specifically or fund to fund that a passive investor needs to know about that maybe they just wouldn't be educated about that you can think of? That they need to be aware of with the fund to funds. Uh, right. Yeah. Just investing in a fund, uh, you know, like that. Anything else that, that maybe a passive investor wouldn't be as savvy to, but maybe, you know, it's a good opportunity for some. Well, anything else that maybe, you know, that people, often questions that investors may have you yeah, I mean, I think there's there's usually questions around what are the fees and what are, you know, what's the fund drag and how do you offset that, you know, through returns. And I think we touched on that earlier, you know, with tiered investment structures and access to institutional quality operators that you may not have in your personal network or reach. Let's see other things to be aware of. I think the general concept is that it's very familiar to most people in, in syndication world. So if you're familiar with how a property is syndicated. A fund of funds is very similar. It does have to be compliant with a few extra rules um, around the Investment Advisor Act and the 1940s or 30s acts of um, SEC registration. But other than that, it's very similar to what you're already used to. Mark, do you have any predictions for the just real estate market over the next six to 12 months? And, and you know that's going to come into play with probably the types of markets you're looking you know, to invest your fund in or operators or asset classes, anything around that? Well, I think uh, we you know, we're seeing inflation and interest rates. We're in an uncertain time right now. I think if you asked me this uh, at the end of 2021, I would have said the future for 2022 looks like, you know, the Fed getting after inflation with 
rate increases that are going to go through the end of 2022. And I think that's probably still the case. Um, They may be pretty aggressive in the first half of the year. And all of that's going to be impactful for pricing, I think, of assets and what they're going to trade at and their cap rates. But there's a lot of capital out there still chasing deals. So I don't see a major impact right off. The question really becomes what happens after 2022 with this uncertainty around conflict in in Europe and whether that escalates or de-escalates and how that affects our economy towards the end of the year is really going to drive, I think, real estate in the next year is really the big question mark. In my opinion, there's some clouds around that. When we talk about, I ask a lot of operators, you know, how do you prepare for a downturn? And and maybe you can speak to, you know, when you're looking at operators and even betting them, kind of like we were talking about earlier, what do you like to see there? You know, how, when you think about, hey, you know, are they prepared for hard times, right? You know, potential hard times or maybe unforeseen things, right? Uh, what do you like to see? Well, this is one of the reasons I go with operators that have had a long track record because they've seen these downturns. They usually have very long track records with their lending partners. You know, they have access to capital that most younger operators may not have access. So if they get into a, a situation where they need to pull on a short term, you know, loan or, or line of credit or something to, you know, withstand a a short run in revenue, they can do that. Where I, I think a lot of younger operators may not have that ability. You know, having that experience and how to weather those types of situations is important. And then again, that's why I think the diversification is is so important because, you know, you just never know on a single property. And the worst thing you can have is a property or a piece of your portfolio go to zero and have a goose egg because those take forever to climb out of and recapture your capital. In my opinion, you got to avoid that as much as possible. No, great advice. Uh, what's your best source for meeting new investors right now? You know, new investors, it's a little bit tough, right? With the COVID stuff, at least we're getting out of that now um, and conferences are are happening again. I think uh, getting out there, what I've learned over the last probably two, three years is getting out there on podcasts like this, Whitney, is very important to meeting investors, you know, going to meetups. So I'm, I'm happy that we can get back out there into conferences and meetups. Um, I'm really excited to be getting on more podcasts like this. Awesome. Yeah, it's definitely very valuable. Get your story out, right? So people can, can meet you. Uh, what about some habits that you have, Mark, that you're disciplined about that have helped you achieve success? Yeah, you know, two things over the last year that have really helped is time blocking. So finding specific periods, especially since I have a busy day job, finding time to do the real estate as well. I have to block off specific periods of time to talk to investors, to do podcasts like this, to do you know underwriting and all of those sorts of things that go along with running a fund. Same thing, finding help. So employing who, not how, and um, you know, figuring out who can help you around. Yeah, you got that one there? Yeah, who, not how, good book. Doing some of the, the blogs and those sorts of things, helping you proofread your, your articles and, and things like that. There's all kinds of things that you can outsource that you don't realize until you start to look at your time blocks and figure out what you're doing uh, with your time. What about uh, how do you like to give back? So I'm busy. So usually what I do is provide support to in various groups. And two groups that I support a lot is Surge for Water, which um, provides sanitation uh, and clean water to developing countries around the world. A very good friend of mine, Shilpa Alva, is the founder of this organization. And so I help her. The other one that I'm a big fan of is Thresholds here in Chicago, which helps homeless and you know mentally challenged and you know sometimes addicted people 
around the city, which we see is a huge problem and a growing problem in, in many large cities around the country. So I really suggest people find ways to help the mentally ill and homeless find shelter and recovery. No, that's awesome. Mark, I appreciate you giving back in that way and even giving to us today your time. I understand there's the busyness of running a business and you're also working full time. Well, you know, I mean, it's it's uh, it's a lot, right? It's a lot to make all of that happen. Uh, but, you know, I just appreciate your background as a CFO as well. Well, and you know how you're even implementing that. I'm sure you're using those skill sets in a big way to, to vet sponsors, right? And look at underwriting and in ways that a lot of investors just don't have the skill set, right? Or the experience behind numbers alone, much less the other things behind, uh, you know, vetting a sponsor. So, you know, you're making a quality decision, quality investment, right? Uh, the 80-20 rule, the who, the track record, the communication, uh, the challenges that they faced and how have they been addressed? I thought that was crucial. Uh, and even, uh, you know, seeking other investors out and asking about their experience and, and and thinking through the transparency. I love that piece, you know, you talk about, yeah, it's a must, right? It's a must. Uh, we work hard at that. You know, it's like, uh, are we giving investors everything we can, but but not only just like throwing it on them, but is, is it a, in a way that they can understand? Uh, does it make sense? And thank you again for your time, Mark. And how can the listeners get in touch with you and learn more about you? Sure, you can uh, head out to our website at siracapitalgroup.com. That's C-I-R-A capitalgroup.com. And you can uh, send me an email through the contact page at Sierra Capital Group. Thank you for being a loyal listener of the Real Estate Syndication Show. Please subscribe and like the show. Share it with your friends so we can help them as well. Don't forget, go to lifebridgecapital.com where you can sign up and start investing in real estate today. Have a blessed day.